Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, this is Ruben off the cheek. This is William. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. That's right. This is Brandon. I'm sure you can't even recognize me. I apologize. The Sniffles edition. Up north, it is Getting that time of year where the weather changes, you get sick. Uh, I've been really busy at work, so I'm sure none of that helps me, Nick, in your balmy 45 degrees down in Kansas City, but uh, people might confuse us this week with this deep voice that I'm carrying. Will they? Uh, will they Will they confuse us? Doubtful. Hmm. All right. Uh, well, obviously, Dan, right out the bat, uh, it was your birthday this past weekend. We got to celebrate with you uh, digitally online a little bit, and Derek... Uh, posting on our Facebook page asking, if there were a Dan of the Match poll honoring Dan on his birthday, what would the fourth option in the poll be? You write yeah, down, because you uh, only put Dan Dormer, Dormer, comma Dan, Dan the man, and then write in, which there there were a few. Well, 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 <laughs> let's, let's, let's be fair. First, thank you for the, the well wishes. Uh, you know, it's always nice to get a little, little dap up on the B-Days. And uh, Nicholas Verlaney actually took took the poll back over. You know, he, we, we had to kick him off duties for yep. polls like this, but <laughs> he brought it back. <laughs> Special edition poll, baby. We're back. Um, look, I, I love that in the write-ins, the write-ins were winning for most of the day, actually. Um, and there were, there were such, you know, write-ins such as Danimal or whatever. But then I also got a couple of votes, which I really appreciated oh on, Dan's, on Dan's birthday. So that was nice, and uh, and I know who you guys are, so that was good. Um, but uh, yeah, happy birthday to Dan, um, who you know, look, we we got to celebrate my birthday in London together um, because I'm the very special and the baby, uh, and the baby, I'm of- <laughs> the baby of the group by one month. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, everyone wish Dan a happy birthday and do a whole thing. Yeah, if you missed it, here's your chance to get caught up. Um, all right. So obviously we played Manchester City, so we're going to be covering all things Man City. And what we always need to do on big matchups, we have to bring in big guests. So none other than Nisar Kinsla. Naz, our man from goal. What are you like in charge of that place now? You've been there a while. Yeah, four years now nearly doing Jeez. Chelsea Football Club. I mean, I feel like part of the furniture almost, but yeah. I'm not a big guest because, you know, I'm only five foot seven in height, but uh, good to hear you sounding like Barry White there, Brandon. And uh, yeah, happy birthday to Dan. 
Nick stable as ever looking Sta- good, feeling well. That, that's stable as ever is the biggest compliment you can give me. That's fantastic. Well, Naz, big in personality, big in insight. Don't worry, you'll do great per usual. Uh, Nick, you can go ahead and tee this bad boy up with an overall theme for today's show. Well, as as we have a a member of the the British Parliament, Naz Naz Kinsella is with us. Um, I thought, hey, a little keep calm and carry on. Nothing to get too riled up about. Some clear things that Lampard needs to work on, but keep calm and carry on, Dan. I think that's fair. I, I think that we ultimately need to just, yeah, we temper expectations. Even though I'm saying that we should try and go win the league, but clearly, VAR. Liverpool's best player this season, so I don't know how likely that's going to happen if that trend continues. Well, VAR is its own thing that we're going to have to talk about. And clearly, no, no, no. It seems... VAR is a player on Manchester City. I was able well, to add them into my fantasy Premier League team, and they already have more points than Jamie Vardy. It's amazing. It, it seems to be Liverpool's crutch, even more so than Man City's at this point. Um, but our talking points for today, we will touch on the magic of the 20 the first 21 minutes of this match they were great and then we'll talk about how city flipped the script and emerson struggles and then what to make of keppa's challenges this match especially in the larger context and rumors that lampard is looking to price given away from darby as a new goalkeeper coach real quick dan uh we need to give some love and some um rewards to the people that have supported us with five-star reviews in the apple podcast star store yeah first off if you're listening on apple podcast right now and this is the week of thanksgiving you'd like to give that at least in the u.s and you'd like to give thanks for something uh, drop a five-star review because we appreciate those and we give you shout out shout outs on the episode like Noel Carter from India saying, loves what he does what we do every week we had cwmdwr he's been a chelsea fan from since 1970, Granddad used to race dogs at the bridge. Whoa. That is a Whoa. wonderful, wonderful bit of recognition. We appreciate that. We had wonderful things from Ryan Finan. We had Jay White 7791 saying Tennessee is blue. We love to hear that. And then, Nick, I think you'll enjoy this name. Five star view from William Dollar Baby. William Dollar Baby. <laughs> Wow, I like that. I love these. I love these names. They're so. They're usually very creative. We had we had a couple of really good ones on the last one, and uh, and yeah, just keep them. We rolling. had one, we had ones that need to be censored. I didn't know how they made yeah. it through Apple's quality filter. Yeah, Apple <laughs> Apple filled us on that one. Um, but yeah, uh, we appreciate you guys. You guys are fantastic uh, on Patreon. A huge shout out to Alex and Cody both joining up. Uh, they will be in the Discord. So. Uh, for those of you that are in there, get ready to welcome them, and I'm sure they will enjoy it very, very much. Uh, and then lastly, Nick, we have some gifts around this time of year for those of you who are listeners. Yeah, that's right. Um, short and sweet today. Uh, if you were in the Talisman uh, $1,000 giveaway, they are announcing that soon. So just get in there and make sure that uh, if you won, that you go buy some sweet, sweet merch from them because they do a really great job. Uh, if you didn't win and you're looking to do a little pre-Black Friday shopping, code LONDONBLUE10 will get you 10% off $35 or more. Just a general message uh, for those in the U.S. As Black Friday and Cyber Monday are here, you know all of our friends and partners. Go support them. We don't need to, we don't need to overemphasize this, but just go support them. Uh, we'd appreciate it. All right. Uh, Dan, you want to give a huge shout out to Jay? Exciting times. Yeah, Jay with a brand new child, brand new Chelsea supporter. You know, you just can't keep them from coming. Yeah, Chelsea supporters here, Chelsea supporters there, Chelsea supporters everywhere. Congrats to Jay and his family for a wonderful new bundle of joy who has joined the Chelsea family. We got a, we got a photo on our little Facebook messenger there. Just he's he's there in a little classic Umbro. Uh, Chelsea Kit Nick and then the young baby swaddled up in a little Yokohama um, Chelsea mishmash kit. No, it's I, like the, I it's love a home kit. Yeah, it's, it's a like kit. Stam- Stamford Bridge pattern, right? It's the kit, but it's footy pajamas, which I think we all need. Can we all no, get that? I didn't, even, I didn't even catch that. I mean, it's getting cold. Naz will wear it for sure. Hey, yeah, Naz, swing through the mega store first next time you're over <laughs> at the bridge, huh? <laughs> I'll need it. The winter period's coming, guys. I mean, being a football journalist, working in the cold. I mean, I can't feel my fingers. 
this is a big time for us. <laughs> layer up, layer N- Naz, up. Naz, are are you a fan of the uh, the gloves without the uh, the fingertips on them? Is that your problem? Not in a fashion sense, but in a work sense. I mean, those those things are a lifesaver. <laughs> any any journalist with a you know a thing about them will own a pair of those for this period. It's going to be brutal. I mean, man, I've been in some terrible climates. Chelsea playing Newcastle away in January. Well, <laughs> I just want to see grunge rock Naz just roll through. I want to see, I want to see something, you know, some plaid Naz. Just do it up for us, man. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump into the match review. It was Manchester City in the Premier League at the Etihad Stadium up north. Uh, you know a little bit about this this area of town, don't you, Naz? I mean. You you were there. You got to head back. You're from Manchester. Um, obviously, got to head back to that part of the country. Um, and so, what was the atmosphere like? You know, was it different? You know, compared to previous years, was it better? Was it worse? I mean, I, I think that they're they're filling the stadium pretty regularly for Premier League matches, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they should do just about. But uh, yeah, the atmosphere is not really a famed one at Man City. It's a good match day experience, to be fair. But um, no, they expect too much in, at Man City. They expect to blow teams away, so anything less, and they're they're not not easily entertained. And um, yeah, it's not it's not a legendary atmosphere by any means. I mean, I think Chelsea's is better, which is probably what you guys like to hear. Um, and yeah, I, I think that. Um, but yeah, Man City is a place that I'm I'm comfortable with. I know it well, and uh, yeah, they're they're having a great time at the minute. And the last two times Chelsea played there, uh, it have been absolutely brutal. So at least we're not at least we're not unpicking a six nil defeat like last season. At least we're not unpicking. You know, Chelsea lost one one nil under Antonio Conte. And that was the most one-sided one-nil I've ever seen in my life. So, um, yeah, I think I think we're going to be talking about a little bit more of a keep calm and carry on situation. All right. Well, we'll keep it neutral a little bit. In case you missed it, the scoreline was City 2, Chelsea 1. So from a goals perspective, I'll let Jake roll in the commentary again. But the first one came in the 21st minute from goal-scoring phenom N'Golo Kante. Jorginho. And the early ball over the top, looking for N'Golo Conte. Chelsea have done it. That's a great start for Chelsea on the counter-attack. And N'Golo Conte, what a finish. All right, and then shortly after that, unfortunately, Kevin De Bruyne, a former Chelsea, haunting us once again. He always finds a way to score, even off a double deflection in the 29th minute, 1-1. Guerrero was waiting at the ricochet, back towards De Bruyne. And the deflection carries it in. De Bruyne does well, but it's a... Double deflection that takes it goalwards. And then the last one in the 37th minute, Riyad Mahrez, someone who's on the bit of the fringe at City right now, takes what will eventually be the game winner in the first half. Mahrez, and still, and Manchester City have turned things around. Too easy for him to come inside onto his stronger left and drills it through to Mahrez's legs. No chance for Kepa. All right, guys, so as we look towards the lineup, Dan, run us through what Frank went, uh, which I think... This is a very important lineup for us to see kind of what Frank's made of, to see where he believes in players. It seems like we had a really good bill of health going into this too, which we weren't sure. You know, we had quite a few injuries pre-international break. It seems like Chelsea are guaranteed one or two during the international break, <laughs> made it out alive for the most part. Again, what what was Lampard's um, starting ladder for this match? Yeah, we saw Kepa between the sticks, Azpilicueta, Kurt Zuma, Fakayo Tomori, and Emerson as the back four. We saw N'Golo Conte, Jorginho, and Kovacic as that midfield three. And then we saw William, Tammy, and Christian Pulisic. That's right. The hip injury would not keep him out. Thankfully, he got a little bit of rest from the U.S. men's national team, was able to get back to match fitness. Unused substitutes of Andreas Christensen, Pedro, Willie Caballero, and Olivier Giroud. Mason Mount, Mishi Bashwai, and Reese James all saw minutes off the bench, Brandon. Yeah, and when we go to the top line stats, uh, Chelsea with 11 shots, only two on target. City with 15 shots, four on target. Chelsea on the road at Manchester, Manchester City, 54% possession. Take it as you will. Uh, we had 642 passes to their 558, 89% pass accuracy to their 85%. Um, and then you go from there, we each had a yellow card. Uh, we had four offsides, uh, almost all of them in the same uh, run of play, unfortunately. And then, uh, yeah, we had some expected goals, Nick. It's, 
uh, you know, and that this might tell a better story than what the match did, but yeah, well, as you know, I'm all about the stats and, um, I, I think it's important that we go over expected goals. Uh, the rough XG sum would be 1.4 for Man City and 0.8 for Chelsea. Um, Dan, it looks as if, you know, even for the amount of shots that we had in or around uh, City's penalty area, that um, none of them were, were super, super threatening. Um, and that was kind of the story of the game. Yeah, we had a couple of long-range attempts from... Mason from William that actually I don't think ends up showing up on here because technically got tipped up and over so it won't count as a shot on target because it goes out for a goal kick which we'll get to but yeah this is you know high quality shots were not what we were taking yesterday which is why we you know we're at point eight so Naz let's roll back to the lineup and get your reactions to that when you saw the team sheets come out uh, you know, fresh out the cap, you're nice and warm, right in your hands on on Saturday. What was your first reaction? Yeah, not re- not really surprised. I thought Pulisic would be a good option um, because of his pace. And Man City have struggled a lot with pacing behind the centre backs. You know, Man City have big centre back problems. Uh, Fernandinho's a midfielder playing there, and he's quite slow. So I thought that that would have been a good option to go for. Um, Hudson Odoi was injured as well, so um, it was kind of a no brainer to put him there. I mean, he could have put Mount there, but um, I, you know, Pulisic's so much quicker than Mount, and, and I thought that that's the reason why. Frank Lampard went with that decision. Um, you know, seeing this midfield three as well together for the first time this season, um, this, they've not often all been fit together. That's mostly because Kante's had injury problems. And yeah, it was it was kind of the right call in my mind to see this midfield. It's a bit more solid, a bit more defensive because Mount's not in there. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a midfield that you maybe use away from home against a Manchester City. So um, the defence as well, obviously not really a surprise. Um given what's gone on this season. Um, there's a lot of stability in Lampard's lineups now um, after a period of rotation earlier in the season. And, and I think he's getting close to having a bit of an established lineup. But um, yeah, we, we saw how things went during the game and, and Emerson needed to be taken off. Um, so yeah, I guess we're going to discuss that in a little bit. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think that, you know, from a starting lineup point of view, you're looking at it before the game and you think, yeah, it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. This is what I thought, Brandon, the lineup should be. Uh, I thought, given our, you know, kind of defensive lapses at times, that that extra central midfielder would be a dynamic choice. Obviously, N'Golo coming back is a huge deal, and he played, you know, just as well as we all expect him to. Um, but, it, you know, what there was, I think, and, and this was the story of the game, is there wasn't a whole lot of link up from that midfield forward um yesterday and not in the way that we're used to with with mason in there so i think i think there's going to be a lot to consider for lampard and big games moving forward but uh it was certainly the one that i expected and you know just didn't play out the way that i had hoped sure well i yeah i mean i just look at the bench right because like well what are options i mean you do have pedro so clearly lampard is going youth over experience this season and then, you know, same thing. You have Mishi and Giroud on the bench. Uh, Reese James, uh, you know, uh, you can understand why he's there in, in this kind of a big game. Then we already talked about Mount. So, um, you know, it, it, you're right. It, it doesn't pick itself. There's still a couple of questions, but um, I think there was really no huge surprises. I think the, probably the biggest surprise for most people would be just the fact that he did go with Pulisic over Mount. But um, I think you guys point out good reasons why. So as we hey, talk, Brandon, just yeah. before we transition, while we have Naz on, and when you, I, I think the bench though is a little misleading. I mean, when you look at Olivier Giroud, you look at Pedro. I think highly unlikely to play. And you know, what's your sense? You know, because you kind of keep your ear to the ground on these things. In terms of would there be any movement for either of these players heading into January, or is that kind of completely reliant on if the Kaz decision comes back and the transfer registration uh, registration for players is overturned. I don't think it's reliant on that. I think that Chelsea could afford to lose them both without signing any new players. But um, I think um, you know for Lampard, I think he wants Giroud about because you never know what's going to happen. You know, if Tammy gets injured or something like that, then I think he would like a third striker, especially with Tammy being kind of inexperienced and with Mitchy still having 
question marks over him and the way he plays and you know can you trust him to hold up the ball can you trust him in big games um i think uh, Giroud would be a great influence in this dressing room as well just from his professionalism been there and done it won the world cup um i think that he's the one i think that frank lampard would rather keep than pedro i think with hudson Adoy fit and ruben loftus cheek even coming back i think that there's room to lose pedro in january but um for Giroud, he's one who needs to push for a move because um, he's got a World Cup coming up and he does, he's the main guy for France. He's the main striker. So um, with Pedro, he's not going to get in the Spain team. But for Giroud, uh, six months out of the game, barely playing, you know, I think that's a, an absolute nightmare for him. And he's going to kind of look to solve it. Um, maybe something will happen before then. Maybe there'll be an injury and he'll be playing regularly uh, during the winter period that we all know. It's very grueling, but um, for me, that's the, kind of the situation in a nutshell, is that um, kind of Chelsea would want to keep Giroud, uh, but maybe they won't be able to if a, if a good offer comes in. Um, and by a good offer, I mean somebody who can simply pay his wages because he's, he's, he's on a decent wage at Chelsea. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be an interesting time. When do, we, when do we find out? Was it December 20th? We'll hear by then? Uh, probably, yeah. I think that um, there's no specific date that the cast ruling will be given to us, so it's kind of a case of uh, around mid-December, keep your eyes peeled. This could be a Christmas gift for you all, an early Christmas gift, so mm. you know, we'll see. <laughs> well, who knows? It could be a gift or a curse, right? We didn't think the first transfer ban would be a, cur a gift, but yet it is yielding huge rewards for us, so we'll see. We'll, we'll have to see how it goes. So let's go and kick off this one with the first 20 minutes reviewing that. People were praising the start of this match as top, top football being played. In the first 21 minutes, Chelsea looked ready to take Manchester City the full 90. And then Conte scored. So how good, Dan, if you rewind to the first 20 minutes of the match, um, Chelsea came out the gates flying, looked like they're executing. How, how good was that in your eyes? Yeah, after the first attempt that... De Bruyne almost got in, I think the, the fourth minute, fifth minute, where he just found space in the box. And you were a little concerned that maybe we weren't going to be able to close them down or we were going to just let them back into the box time and time again. You're like, okay, this this could be bad. But then we find some solidity. We're maintaining possession. We're taking it to him. We're reloading quickly. We're making incisive passes, and then, of course, it's N'Golo Conte because he just likes to score Manchester. <laughs> it's just seemingly something he enjoys doing. You know, there's not, there's not many things that bring him joy in life, Nick, but it seems like this is one, and for the, the type of person N'Golo is, you just have to... Just have to let it be. You have to let it happen. Man, yeah, he he was really good yesterday. Um, he was, I think, our best player by by quite some uh, margin. But, but yeah, this was a beautiful pass from Kovacic, and you know, it, it doesn't matter if they're beautiful or they're ugly. Naz, they they all count the same in terms of goals. Yeah, it was a, it was a good goal. Um, I, I love the little one-two between Jorginho and Kovacic because we know the way. Man City defend is a sort of pressing system and, and a simple one too, which is kind of like your bread and butter skill in, in football. Um, that can open up a, a gap and that gave Kovacic time to pick up his head, find the ball, great run from N'Golo Kante, um, you know, running in behind the line, he's very quick, um, got the shot away, uh, great goal. But yeah, I think that um, Kovacic had a decent game at times, uh, maybe more on the ball than off the ball, but... Uh, yeah, I think that um, it was just a it was just a cracking start, and it was no less than Chelsea deserved at the time. Um, and it just showed what Lampard does. His style of football is mixing it up. You know, he can go long, he can go short. Um, it just keeps the opponent guessing, and and very much that was a sort of move that came and and exploited a weakness that Man City had. And it's a shame they couldn't do it more during the game. I thought they I did. Mean, there, there was a likelihood at a moment, too, in, in that first part where William just fizzes one just a touch wide, had a, had a really good angle on the goal, and just couldn't keep it in position. So I, I, you know, I think, Brandon, kind of looking at this first 20 or so minutes before the De Bruyne goal is that this was better than how he had played the last two times, as Naz talked about earlier, when we've made this trip up to the Etihad where we looked competitive and it wasn't what anyone would have been expecting at the beginning of the, beginning of the season, but 
I think some of that was down to injury. Some of that was down to City trying to figure us out too because Pep did change tactics uh, halfway through the match. I, w- I was impressed with their ability to ma- deal with the press. I thought sometimes we kind of played ourselves into tough situations a little bit like last year, but I think that the team do know that Frank, you know, is happy to let them go long once they suck City in and then run off the second ball. And again, so I thought they were able to, you know, do it a little bit better. But anytime you have Jorginho and Kovacic, we know those guys. They're like, they refuse to play anything long. They're like, we will pass our way out of this. And you're like, guys, you're scaring me a little bit. You're, it's a little too much in, in this area. But it did lead yeah, to... It, do, it doesn't need to be the great escape every time we're trying to work out of the back. You'd like to think <laughs> not. Uh, but Nick, this, this did produce a goal, the goal for Chelsea. And it was the goal-scoring phenom in Golicante, obviously. And I don't know if you know this, Statman, but uh, at OptiJoe tweeted the number three and says, Golicante has scored three goals from three shots on target in the Premier League this season. Efficient. Yeah, that would be a hundred percent conversion, which you like to see. Um, yeah, again, I, I think Ingola was great yesterday, and you know, when when everybody was talking about the lineup, having him back for a game like this is such a massive deal. Um, you know, we saw him play against Liverpool, Naz uh, back in September, and he was kind of a star of the show there as well in another big match. Um, so. It was, you know, I think he just makes such a massive difference for Chelsea that, you know, rumors of uh, rumors of his demise might have been a little exaggerated earlier in the season. No, yeah, but the midfield is, is Chelsea's strength, really. You're looking at the three guys he started and Mason Mount on the bench. And, you know, Mount, Mount wouldn't be on the bench for most teams in the Premier League. So it's great credit to Chelsea's uh, midfield. But Kante still head and shoulders above the rest in terms of consistent world-class performances against top clubs and he knows what it takes. There's not many players in that squad who knows what it takes to win big, big, big trophies and that's just because of age and just because of the kind of profile of the Chelsea player we have at the moment. So um, he sets the example for me um, and I can't believe he's adding goals to his game. Such a modest man, um, able to step up. Um, I don't think he's going to become a goal-scoring midfielder but it's nice. I feel like... You know, there's an outside chance of him getting close to 10 goals a season. No. Oh, wow. Golden boot, baby. Let's go. That would be a sight. <laughs> Poor guy. Just doesn't know how to celebrate. That's the only... I, like, feel bad for him almost. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, here's what Angola Conte would do. He wouldn't go for the golden boot. If he was even on pace for it, he would, like, dial back and make sure someone else won it. That's what he would do because he's the nicest guy in world football. Hey, man, he wins awards, all right? He doesn't like them, but he'll win them because it's just... That's, that's his style. Uh, Naz, does this intrigue you at all? The, this stat that 46.74% possession is the lowest of any Pep Guardiola side at home in 381 top flight matches. So like, I know it's been thrown about, you know, and I, I retweeted because Yannick, he put it out. I retweeted and someone goes, and how many points does that earn you? And I was like, okay, well, I get that, but is there something to take out of that in itself. Yeah, definitely. It shows that Frank Lampard can set up a team to compete with the best manager in the world, in my opinion, which is a huge positive. It shows that um, maybe Chelsea aren't so far away from Man City. You know, okay, they got beat. Okay, City found a way to win. Um, but I think we, when, we, when we began this season... Um, I think everyone got a little bit carried away with six wins in a row, which was the context before this game. But when we began this season, if you said Chelsea would lose narrowly to Man City uh, away from home and dominate <laughs> possession, you'd be like, yeah, you probably you probably wouldn't be too upset about it. So um, some of the reactions were a little bit over the top yesterday. Um, there were plenty of positives to take out of it. Of course, Chelsea need to find a way to win against bigger teams and um I think that that's something we'll discuss later on in more detail. But um, that, that's the main issue, really, being ruthless. Those little moments that Frank Lampard said, you know, I was in his press conference, I was there behind the scenes, and the atmosphere was that the players were down. And I think they wanted to prove themselves against the top club. And I still think that's something that Chelsea needs to chase uh, to prove to everyone else. But I think that, you know, the gap is so small now, and that's what that, that possession sh- stat showed. So um, Chelsea can be sort of... You know, if they if they reflect on the game analytically, which they will do, look at the videos, they can think and say, you know what, Man City are not that much better than us. We can close that gap in the next year or so, and uh, I think that that's something 
that will excite all Chelsea fans when when you close a gap on Man City, you're competing for trophies. When you say that, Naz, are you thinking, you know, with a kind of holistically from like a player standpoint and maybe a tactic standpoint? Obviously, Frank, I think, growing into his managerial career alongside, you know, Jody. But it, if you were kind of looking, because we talked about how N'Golo Kante is a, a world, you know, World Cup winner, he's a world class player, he's a game changer. And that's something that maybe this side is lacking. Do you think it's a one-player change, a two-player change? What's the the amount of injection maybe this side needs in that regard? Or is it, in your mind, more of a maturation process? Yeah, I think that, you know, it's a bit of both. I think, you know, I think that the fact Chelsea are producing so many players from the academy means they can get a very well-placed transfer, which is something Liverpool have done very well. Um, something, you know, that you look at a bad transfer team, you probably say Manchester United and you're looking at them and they're trying to fix so many things all at once and Chelsea can go, look, maybe left-back's a problem. Yesterday left-back was a problem. Maybe they go and spend a huge amount of money on Ben Chilwell because they know Ben Chilwell can play in the Premier League, that he can fit in his the Chelsea squad. He's a young English player playing for England, doing very well. Um, and they can say, this guy... It's probably massively overpriced and uh, people are going to look at his transfer fee, but we know that he is exactly what we want. There's no gamble there. There's, well, there's minimal gamble there. And uh, that, that's something that Chelsea might look to do, change the transfer policy, uh, less Danny Drinkwaters and more Allisons and more um, you know Van Dykes. And I think that that's probably where this transfer policy is going to go for Chelsea in the future, thanks to players like Mason Mount, who are gradually, incrementally going to improve and eventually learn to become top-class players. And I think that Frank Lampard, Jody Morris and the coaching staff have absolutely total belief in the, the chosen ones from the academy at the moment. You know, yeah, to the point where Jody is getting in trouble for calling out Mourinho. I mean, <laughs> they have complete confidence and, and it's paying off and it's fantastic. But uh, yeah, I think that's interesting to think about. Uh, we do want to keep moving though, uh, because there's a lot to happen in this match, uh, continuing on obviously city, them scoring Pep loves to praise apparently us for losing to him, which is a little interesting. And then obviously we can talk about Emerson and Keppa as well, but we are going to take a quick break. Uh, when we are back, those are the topics we'll cover. Thank you to the sponsor for supporting our show financially. Do appreciate it. Uh, quick break. Here we go. All right, so jumping right back into it, Chelsea fans, it was all going so well, but then City scored, and then they scored again. And then, technically, due to a weird goal kick awarded to a ball, Emerson tipped out of play, Ederson tipped out of play, Chelsea didn't register another shot on target, which is a little weird, a little concerning. Um, But, you know, when you scroll to the end of the match here, Dan, Pep Guardiola had some interesting quotes, some praises for Chelsea. So I want you to read that out. And I'm interested, is it good to be praised by Pep or does it not matter? Oh, they're so good. Incredible team. Last 20 <laughs> years, sometimes they have bad moments, but uh, it's Chelsea. Um, you know, look, it, it's the same thing he does when Eddie Howe comes into town and Bournemouth play a more expansive game and want to take it to him and they ultimately lose. It's the same thing that he said against Mauricio Sarri when Napoli played against Manchester City. It is probably, it's the godfather kiss of death <laughs> moment um, more than anything else. It's it's not a good thing, I think, to be praised by Guardiola in this way because to me it's his way of saying, Nick, that I, I, I can beat you. Like You're not as good in this specific facet of the game as, as I am or the way I set my teams up. And he was able to... With just me, you know, a minor shift in tactics after the goal change, you know, kind of changing to that, you know, four four two, really just stifled our attack into the second half, and there was nothing, there was nothing there because we were we were too slow, we couldn't move it quickly enough, and they were doing a really great job of just not giving us a a lane to to play a ball in. Yeah, I mean, I'd much rather him be frustrated in a press conference because we beat him <laughs> and played a frustrating style than. Uh, for him to give us a condescending pat on the head for for trying to play um, in the Etihad. And and honestly, Naz, were were you a little surprised um, given the way that Lampard's teams have played against kind of lesser opposition this year that uh, he was so aggressive um, in trying to push 
uh, you know, a very good title-winning city team uh, at their own place. Yeah, well, he went toe-to-toe with Liverpool, which um, kind of showed that Chelsea feel like they're good enough and that their strengths are more, um, you know, in the attacking phase, in the pressing phase, you know, with youth. Um, it gives you that opportunity to press so quickly. Um, people like, uh, you know, you, you're talking about um, Tammy Abraham presses great from the front and really gets the game plan, Pulisic in theory, and can get there quickly. So um, you're going to look to that. And um, yeah, I think that it was a bit more of a Sarri approach than it was a Conte approach when uh, Lampard went to town. And, and But it, 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 there's more cohesion there in the squad. So, and they won six in a row. So that was Lampard's sort of uh, justification for saying that Chelsea might be able to do something with this approach. So um, that, that's, that was his thinking. For me... I don't think he got a lot wrong with the starting lineup. I think maybe when you come in to talk about substitutes, um, then maybe Frank Lampard started to get stuff wrong. Um, I thought that uh, Rodri, um, you know, all three of Man City's substitutes were players getting injured coming off. Um, and that was a chance to show that, you know, Man City were tired. They needed, I think that Chelsea needed to push for it a little bit more. And I don't think Tammy Abraham was actually having a bad game and, and should have come off. I think that maybe they could have looked to Pedro instead. I know he's way, way, way out of favour, but I think I would have probably switched both wingers up. I think that um, maybe they were struggling. I think certainly one of the wingers should have come off. I think you could say William wasn't decisive enough, um, although you know he's decent in transition, um, and I thought Pulisic was quite quiet all game. So, um, yeah, I thought maybe give Pedro a shout. Um, great finisher, isn't he? So, um, yeah, for me, maybe it was a kind of case that if Hudson-Odoi was there, he would have thrown on the winger, but um, maybe Pedro's just lost a little bit of trust of late and, and that's why he didn't go for it. But um, I think that maybe the subs, he could have pushed a lot harder. That That's probably my thing. It's just that this isn't a Man City firing on all cylinders. It, you know, this is a, a beaten up Man City, you know, one that has quite a few injury issues. And so they're kind of, you know, they're there for the taking as much as they can be, right? I mean, obviously when you're starting lineup, you know, you still have, Aguero, Sterling, Mares, De Bruyne, Rodri, De Silva, or David Silva in the middle in the attack. That's still a very good, you know, front six players. But, you know, we're putting into context. This was probably our, our best chances that we could have. And, um, yeah, it, it just, it fell a little flat, unfortunately. And I think it's good that people are upset. That shows that we felt like we had a chance. We could have done something and didn't. Uh, how can we turn that around, potentially the return leg or, you know, in other top six opposition? Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to jump in there. I thought I thought that the uh, the second half, I thought that it was kind of a case of, um, you know, Chelsea kind of lost control of the game. They weren't really pushing, creating chances enough. Um, apart from that N'Golo Kante shot and the Willian shots, there was there was nothing really from, from Chelsea. So... Uh, I think that I think that you know there was there's 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 a desperate call for more creativity and it was just lacking and maybe there's something lacking in Chelsea's squad right now maybe you know Ross Barkley wasn't in the squad I know he's not the most popular player of the fans but if he was around maybe Frank would have turned to him Loftus Cheek as well um, and Hudson Odoi out those those three um, could have made an impact yesterday and 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 that was exactly what was lacking from Chelsea was somebody to really push and drive from midfield um you know after after they lost control of the game a little bit because the midfielders Chelsea did choose were great at controlling the game but as soon as man city took hold of it um they kind of lost lost the emphasis to do some damage to Guardiola's side yeah i was i was very surprised actually that mason didn't come on at halftime when you looked at the way that we were starting to distribute the ball in terms of going more horizontally than trying to push up. We were taking a lot of time to recycle. You know, you're looking at, you know, what, 30 seconds to a minute to even try to get the ball into the half. And the amount of times that we just couldn't find an angle or we slowed down just enough, whether it was William holding the ball up. I mean, Pulisic didn't see much of anything in the second half. You needed someone that was going to drive it forward, was going to push it. And I think that's where Mason coming on Later was good, but he still positionally didn't take up a good position, like just offset of Tammy Nick, where he's done more damage this season. And I think that's where, if maybe we had seen that a little earlier in this match, because you know it was not you know the Jorginho highlight reel that you know most people have been able to compile clips of this season. I think that's where I would have liked to seen something a little bit different. I think we could have offered just just a touch more if we did try to uh, push with having that 
you know, 1-1 up top where Tammy is kind of just being offset by Mason. Yeah, I mean, I think the, you know, where, where City reacted really well was taking away some of our, you know, some of the space in wide areas. And that's where, you know, Pulisic and Emerson were specifically having, you know, quite a bit of, of joy in the first half. And to me, it, you know, if, if they're not kind of getting in behind, Tammy doesn't have time to kind of turn and make the right runs and is relying on like the perfect ball to put him in position, Brandon. So uh, I think there was just, you know, kind of a lack of adjustment in tactics as well as a lack of adjustment in, and maybe personnel that contributed to a really, really sluggish second half. And I even had a buddy, you know, text me after the game and say that, you know, he thought that we were content to, to lose 2-1, which I, I don't agree with. But just because of the kind of sluggish nature um, of this, it just it kind of felt like, you know, hey, don't concede anymore and maybe we'll hit him on the counter once. Could be. I mean, that you know, that ties into the fact that we had to make a defensive substitution. So Emerson came off, Reese James came on, Aspie moved to left. Um, you know, so does that slow down the momentum for Chelsea when they have to make a defensive substitution, changes the dynamic a little bit? Um, obviously, Aspie seemed to just step up and, you know, take everything that's being thrown at him right now. Uh, and, and we'll have to see. Uh, Grant James, who is at, at Grant Dismit on Twitter. I'm sure we retweeted this. He put this out there, and I think we can react to it. For several weeks, I've had to listen to rubbish about how James and Emerson should be the fullbacks. Yesterday, Aspie was outstanding on both flanks. In the very rare home game, I'd be okay to rest him, but he walks into the 11 for every other game. So what do you think about that, Nick, in, that, in, in those terms? I mean, I think it's it's an interesting one. For me, because I think early in the season, Emerson was playing just as well. You know, I think the last time we had Nazan, Emerson was kind of one of the, the big uh, discussion points um, and, and how well he was playing and how he's taking people on in final third, creating extra space for our wingers and doing all sorts of good work offensively. He had a uh, he had a tough one yesterday. And I think Naz, if, if you were to characterize his performance, um, at least the way that I feel about it, is that he... He got turned around quite a bit uh, by City's movement and wasn't really ever in the game defensively. Yeah, it was the most Im- important part of the match was what happened down Emerson's side. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Guardiola overloaded that left-hand side that Emerson works on. And, um, you know, it was kind of a tactic of his. Um, you, d- you often don't see symmetrical formations in the top level of football. It was a tactical ploy. De Bruyne was the right-sided midfielder for Man City, and we all know how good he is. And Riyad Mahrez had a great game as well. Um, so it was those two up against Emerson, basically, because uh, De Bruyne kept getting in behind uh, the midfield. He kept getting in behind Kovacic. He wasn't tracking De Bruyne very well. Um, and, it, and it led to, you know, two V1s on Emerson. And he was getting turned in, turned out. I mean, the guy had a shocking game, but it's not all his fault. I mean, you're talking about he had one shot on goal. It was poor. Um, his cross uh, that he had was poor because Tammy Abraham was at the back post against a small defender. Uh, missed opportunity there, and that will be one of the moments probably that Chelsea will analyse. I mean, Emerson lost all his duels, made no tackles, no interceptions, only regained possession once. He was kind of a, a bystander. And then for the goal, um, a lot of people criticised Emerson for the goal, and probably rightly so, but um, you know he's left in a position where he's against Riyad Mahrez, one of the best dribblers in the Premier League, in the box, um, and you know, Mara's just had him on toast, unfortunately. But um, I can kind of sympathize with him why he didn't make the tackle because there's such a high risk of a penalty there, um, and it's just something that uh, Chelsea shouldn't allow. They shouldn't allow um, a winger like that to get a 1v1 on a defender, um, and Chelsea were all over the place in that regard. So, um, yeah, Guardiola won that tactical battle, um, and Chelsea did react eventually. They did um, get Kovacic playing deeper after a while, um, in, after the, the first half, and then um, they also brought in Reese James, which sort of helped out. Um, but, you know, the damage was already done, unfortunately. Um, chasing a game against Man City is never easy, and I can kind of say, you know, um, this is a learning curve for, for um, Frank Lampard because... Um, he needs to spot kind of that City have done this before to teams um, with with De Bruyne. De Bruyne is the most um, tactically versatile player in Man City's squad, and 
and often where he plays tells you a lot about the damage that they're looking to do against you. Well, and we were so weak in that regard because of the moment, you know, Kovacic would, would drop, you would have Kovacic, you know, Tomori, and you'd have Emerson, like all eyes on Riyad Mahrez, and De Bruyne would just skip into a position where he could receive the ball, you know, just takes these super intelligent two or three step drop backs and finds himself in acres of space because no one's closed him down quick enough. And yeah, he's a absolutely, you know, just completely mismatched for what we were trying to do, especially in midfield. And I, I think, you know, the, the stat line does not favor Emerson. I think what I would say, you know, in, in a turn on that is that Aspi had to go up against Raheem Sterling in the first half and Ria Mars in the second half. And both of them struggled to play him one-on-one, which is just, a, I think, Nick, a credit to the fact that, you know, Aspi uh, looked strong in both positions. And, uh, you know, Reese outside of the Raheem Sterling, you know, opportunity in the very near end of the game that got overturned uh, also looked up to the challenge. But, I mean, at that point, City weren't really even trying to press us anymore. They were letting us have the ball and just allowing us to beat ourselves. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the difficult part, right? And, you know, I, I want to get Brandon in here, too, because the defense certainly impacted Kepa's performance. But um, for me, I think if you don't, I mean, if you have two left backs, you don't have one. And then our best left back is actually our right back, who um, is is our captain and who had a standout performance yesterday. Um, you know, I, I think it was just a it was just kind of a a golfing class there. Um, not to say that Emerson can't have good games against you know lesser opposition, uh, namely not Man City or Liverpool, but it just you know it kind of shows you where where I know we have a lot of good vibes this season. I know everyone's feeling good about our squad. Brandon, it, it shows you that we still do have some deficiencies that we need to um, to fill up. And, um, you know, left back could be one of those. Center back could be one of those. Uh, goalkeeper could be one of those. I'm just kidding. But um, I, I think there's, there is going to be some work to do now because uh, it shows you, you know, these, these big six games show you where you kind of sit and, and it's not been great so far. Well, I think that our left side has probably had the most change of any kind of part of the pitch. I think for the most part, as far as injuries and rotation. And so I, I understand that's probably the least settled, but you know, Naz, I, JK said on the fan cast a couple weeks ago that Emerson had put in a huge contract raise request to force a move out of Chelsea. He also said that Alonzo isn't rated by Lampard. So we could be looking at having both of them moved out and potentially someone new in, in probably this summer. Is that something you've heard about that maybe like Emerson's just a little bit unsettled? Do you think this is more of just, he had a tough day out? No, I do think Emerson wants to make a good go of it. I mean, he's asked for a new contract and um, that'll be discussed. And uh, I think there's kind of, he does deserve it really. Um, He's probably not one of the biggest earners. He was sort of establishing himself as a first teamer, but it reduces your bargaining power when you play poor games and you um, maybe even get dropped. But I don't think we should overreact to Emerson too much yet. I think you know he does want to be a Chelsea player who's committed. Um, and for Alonso, we're talking about a player who's more of a specialist wing-back and that's always going to be the problem with Alonso. And uh, yeah, it's never really convinced me as a left-back, to be honest. Um, you know, he can do it. He can do okay in big games. Um, but is he consistently the right man for the job? Um, I don't know. You know, he's he's only just signed a new deal last season, so um, he, he needs a big club to come in for him and take him. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that that would be a position that Chelsea would be interested in changing, perhaps. Um, but I, I don't. I think that these things can change, and I think Emerson is not done by any means. Um, I think that you know he's been he was out for a little while before coming in recently, and he had an international break and. Um, I think he's just made a few mistakes there um, in this game and uh, definitely needs to look at it. And um, yeah, he needs to turn himself not into Chelsea's weakness because that was something that Guardiola decided and uh, exploited. Do you think that the plan is to have Emerson and Chilwell or is it 
it's Emerson's chance to lock it up this season, and then they'll decide if they need to bring someone in or not at the end of the season. Yeah, I think uh, it'd be likely Emerson and Chilwell if he did come in. Um, but I'm not saying he's coming in. It's not easy to sign Chilwell, especially with Leicester doing so well elsewhere. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's probably going to be that way around. I think that's what Lampard most like to do. Um, but, yeah, we'll have to see. I think that there's plenty of signs that Emerson is the main man at the moment. But um, with this poor performance, I mean... The, the internet screaming for Reese James to start and asked me to move over. So um, maybe that could affect things further. All right. Well, we'll have to stay tuned and see how it goes. But it, it's uh, good to get that perspective. Nice to nice to know. Uh, so the last one that we do have is a discussion about Kepa, which is, I think, appropriate. I mean, I, I know you guys think you're like rubbing your your utensils together, getting ready to, you know, feast on Kepa. But I think it's it's healthy to have a good conversation about a player and you know even if it's not in their best moment and and kind of analyze some things so i you know i think it's fair to say Kepa didn't have his best day out at the office as naz said on twitter var saved him from conceding a third goal thanks to raheem sterling's armpit hair so let's you know i i get it you guys want my take but when dan you write in the script are you able to defend today's performance that's a little aggressive do I need to? <laughs> like, I'm not going to defend him if it's not something that should be defended as well. So I will flip the script to you guys, and I want to hear your opinions um, kind of on the day. If you want to pull in some of these tweets that we have in the script and I can kind of react, go for it. Um, but, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll pass to you. Just it, it, So it's interesting, right? Like, So 22 saves, 19 goals conceded. We're averaging saves per goal of 1.16. I mean, Leicester's at 3.86, Sheffield United 3.78, Tottenham 3.11. And, you know, we are just, we've made fewer saves. Um, You know, Liverpool's the only other club, but I mean, they're not getting shot on. So, I mean, that's, or VAR's overturning it. So they don't have the same problems that we do. I just I'm I'm concerned that uh, we are running into a situation where maybe we have a uh, as uh, the wonderful uh, Seb C. You either love him or you hate him or you hate him, um, <laughs> saying that Kepa is a decent keeper, won't win all games like world class keepers do. Sort of an all rounder, good at everything, great at nothing. Uh, not even footed play, who's average beyond playing the five yarders. So I, I guess. What's your concern level more so, Brandon? Like, you know, you've played this position, you know, you you know it better than any of us on this podcast. And you know, what are you maybe seeing in his game that you think is coachable? And what are the things maybe like the command in the box that we've seen from a, a check and maybe even a, a, a Courtois? I know we don't, you know, it's uncouth apparently to say his name, but, you know, at least it's true. I feel like those individuals really structured things in the back a little bit more. Um, <laughs> check and Courtois are very different. Um, I would just say that. But talking about Kepa specifically, I think Seb, um, it, I think calling him decent is unfair. I think he's above average. But I think that he's correct in the sense that he's not going to win a ton of big games like a world-class goalkeeper. I agree with that. I think he can win games. Um, I also agree with the fact that he calls him an all-rounder, good at a lot of things, maybe not great at other, you know, at any one thing. I think I disagree when he says that Kepa is bang average when it comes to playing a ball more than five yards. I think that's where he lost me. I That's unfair. I mean, if we're being honest, yes, Ederson can kick the ball a hundred yards, but that doesn't make Ederson a great goalkeeper. He has to be accurate with it. And I think that Kepa overall, I mean, you guys, we remember Courtois with the ball at his feet, like talk about a deer on ice, right? Like Keppa is significantly better than that. So point proven to me. Add it to the scoreboard. Anyways, <laughs> overall with Keppa, um, I you know, I talked about this when he signed him. He's not overly tall. He's not really aggressive on crosses. Uh, he has amazing reflexes. He is fantastically athletic um as far as his athleticism and his ability to change direction. You know, but if you look at a double ricochet goal today. Um, nothing he can do about that. Uh, if you skip to the third goal, um, 
where Raheem Sterling was in, thanks to VAR, we didn't count. Um, you know, a one-on-one situation, Kepa's not going to be great because he can't cover a lot of the goal. He's not a big, imposing guy. So you have to, the goal with Chelsea is to try to manage the situations that Kepa faces. We want Kepa to see shots, um, you know, from distance where he has time to use his good footwork to get there. Um, and so the more, the more opportunities that we give teams to shoot inside the box, um, and or breakaway type situations, Keppa is not suited to be good in those situations. He's much better at, um, you know, like I said, shots from shots from distance uh, or shots where he has a clear line of sight. We've seen him make some fantastic one-handed saves uh, on his reactions, um, but unfortunately, we're getting a lot of people in front of him. Uh, we're letting people drive us too far deep into our box, uh, like with the Riyad Mahrez goal. And that's kind of my overall senses is you have to manage the, the chances he's taken. Now, um, you know, you think back to the Ajax free kick, that was ugly. That whole game for him was ugly. You, you know, I think we're starting to see some cracks. I think he had a better season last year than this year. But remember last year, we had the ball the entire game. Sorry, didn't let it go. So maybe that's part of it. I bet we gave up a lot less chances this year, that last year than this year. This year, the def- the transition from offense to defense is Chelsea's biggest problem, and that creates issues defensively as a goalkeeper. And then lastly, um, at least we s- settled on a center back pairing for now, um, but that's important. Having a goalkeeper and his two center backs on the same page is is really important. So long, long-winded answer. You guys can react to that. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, like a goalkeeper is only as good as the defense in front of him. Um, you know, I, again, I, I would agree with yesterday's assessment, Brandon. That you know, not his best day, kicking it. You know, almost giving up that that goal to Aguero. That would have been just heart wrenching for for us at that point, and then also for I think his career because it was just such a bad play out um the deflected goal he's got nothing he can't do anything about that and then you know when emerson lets Riyad maris walk into the box five yards away and then rip a shot into the corner you know i maybe maybe there are a handful of goalkeepers who can save that as it goes through tamori's legs but i think the i think everyone's focusing on keppa um Maybe Naz a little too much and maybe not enough on the run of play that gets uh, him into some pretty dicey positions. That's my take. Yeah, I think you guys assessed it brilliantly. I, I agree with almost everything you said. You can tell Brandon's a goalkeeper. I mean, man, that guy must be good. <laughs> I wouldn't, wouldn't fancy my chances past him. But uh, yeah, I think that, you know, there's been too many mistakes this season. I think you're thinking back to the Wolves game, which didn't hurt Chelsea. Ajax, it did hurt Chelsea. Man City, it didn't hurt Chelsea, but there were mistakes. Um, so, uh, you know, for for the price tag, which is always going to be over him, uh, record breaking. Is it worth? Is he looking worth the price tag? Probably not at the moment. Um, can Chelsea get rid of him or do anything about the price tag? No. Um, he's going to be tough to sell. Um, you know, he's a Chelsea player locked in for a long time, and we've got to expect him to stay between the sticks. So. Yeah, he needs some support, he needs some help, he needs some, um, perhaps some coaching improvements. We've heard Shea Givens been linked there. Um, I mean, um, yeah, I think that Kepper is not a match-winning goalkeeper, uh, a bit like Brandon said. Um, you know, you're looking at somebody like David De Gea, um, who's probably the best example of a match-winning goalkeeper who pulls off massive saves time and time again, and we've not had that from Kepper. And I think that that's something that disappoints people. I think people want him to add that to his game. I mean... You can't expect him to save you in every game. I think that the expected goals showed that um, 2-1 was about right yesterday. Um, so, fair enough. Man City deserved to win narrowly. Um, Chelsea deserved to lose. But um, it would be nice to see Kepa maybe have one of those big games where you're like, Chelsea are getting battered and uh, somehow a goalkeeper manages to win you a point or two point or two extra points. Um, and we've not seen that from Kepa yet in his Chelsea shirt. Um, and I do agree with the sort of um, sorry to Lampard uh, transition and that he's been worse this season. I think he has. And I think that Chelsea in general have been worse defensively and, and that's just a sort of 
part of that as well. So um, I, I agree with the assessments and that's sort of my uh, briefer assessment because you guys have done such a good job of talking about Kepa. All right. Well, cool. I'm sure that will stir a lot of reaction on social media. Uh, you know where to find me. <laughs> I, let's talk about it. I think it's healthy. Uh, goalkeepers aren't infallible. You know, I'm not here to say you can't what? talk about them. Wow. Um, <laughs> Did not see that coming. Brandon's infallible. I, I, I want the best goalkeeper possible at our club. I think Keppa is a, usually a consistent 7 out of 10. Um, like Naz said, we just want to see the 8, 9, 10s more often. We're not seeing that enough at a big club like Chelsea. I mean, I just think back to the Ajax leg, the 4-4, like, man, you, you, need, you needed him in that game to, to help. Here's, here's the one thing I would look for is that, you know, Willie Caballero is not – competition for this job right so the thing that i would want to see heading into a january if we can sign someone or heading into next season is a legitimate competitor for keppa because as we've seen in this chelsea squad that when you have someone nipping at the heels behind you your game gets elevated you know so as, as much as the coaching is something we've called out um as much as the defense is something we've called out i i think when you're not under a threat for your job in this type of competitive element, I think that also can cause some regression. And that would be the one thing I'd like to see beyond what we've discussed so far is someone to be able to be maybe not an, a match in match out kind of competitor, but someone who could basically say like, you know, I'm, I'm good enough to play in the premier league. I've shown the ability to do that. And if you don't play well, Frank has an actual choice on his hands. Well, you don't think Willie Caballero saving and Golacante shot with his face is challenging Kepa? Nope. No. Oh, okay. Um, what about Willie Caballero creating an upper 90 target for Marcus Alonso to hit and he did it? That was, that was really nice. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll have to dig deeper. Obviously we lost, uh, the young gun who went to PSG. Can't think of his name right now, unfortunately. Bulka. Yep. Marcin Bulka. Um, he had a lot I of potential. Gonna mention hero, hero of, uh, <laughs> the hero uh, of the Europa Baku. League, Rob Green. Yeah, man, Rob Green, dude. I love him on the radio. He's a fantastic commentator. I, uh, I'm glad we got to talk to him a little bit. So, uh, All right, well, let's go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, the Dan of the Match poll, uh, I don't even know why we're doing this anymore, Dan, but here it is. Yeah, it really only needed to be one option, but you know what? Twitter polls make you do at least two. So required second option with 6% of the vote. But really, no surprise, 94% of the poll goes to N'Golo Kante. If we did include former Chelsea players, it probably should have been Kevin De Bruyne and Nick, but uh, we, we don't like to do that here. No, no, we don't. Um, a, a last thought, because I know we had it in the script and, and we're short on time, but Naz, what do you make out of Chelsea's struggles against the top six this season? Is that something that is circumstantial or is it a worrying sign of things to come? For the rest of the year do do we have to extend that i mean where manchester united in the table the top <laughs> sorry naz it could change it could change between now and the time that this podcast actually goes live That's yeah right. yeah gotta be careful guys but uh, yeah no i think that i think that obviously you know chelsea are having a great season and they can get top four without having the the big the games against the top six teams you know it's a long league it's the same amount of points for beating sheffield united than it is for beating man city but um, the problem is, uh, I think that you know there's not enough players who've been and done it at the top level. I mean, I was looking back at um, which players have achieved massive things in Chelsea's uh, team yesterday, and there was so few really. There was Willian, um, there was Kante. Um, I, I mean, there's not many. I mean, Matteo Kovacic was on the bench for Real Madrid. Um, I think there was another guy as well, Aspilicueta, of course. Um, but then you're looking beyond that, and there's not enough game management skills. You know, the way the way Man City played at the end of the game um, yesterday. wasn't particularly good, wasn't particularly beautiful, um, but it certainly controlled the game. They slowed it down really badly and um, were able to just grind it out um, and they're decisive in the final third. So, um, yeah, those those are the issues, really. Chelsea need to be more clinical in big games. They're not going to get as many chances and um, Tammy um, pr probably struggles in those big games and he still needs to learn how to get the goals in the bigger games and... Um, you know, Willian and Pulisic as well need to be... Willian's never going to be a great goal scorer. And Pulisic, um, he needs to produce big performances. And Chelsea are looking to him. So somebody needs to take this opportunity to um, learn how to be decisive on this massive stage. Mason Mount, you could say the same. You say the same for Hudson-Odoi. Um, so I think that that's, that's the issue um, in an attacking sense. Um, and yeah, I think Chelsea get punished as well because 
um, they can be a bit um, vulnerable at the back in transitions, as Dan touched on earlier. You know, a quick transition, counter-attack, and Chelsea get hurt really quickly. Um, probably too many unforced errors as well. So it's, a, it's many factors, but it's all coachable. Um, and Chelsea can, uh, can definitely tighten that up. And, and by the end of the season, I think if they get two wins against top six sides, it's something good and positive to build into next season. Um, hopefully those will be in cup competitions so Chelsea can lift some silverware. I mean, that is uh, obviously the Jose Mourinho playbook, literally. Top six, that's where you win and lose the Premier League title. So um, I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more from him. Uh, I did wait strategically to the very end of the pod to even mention his name uh, because we're not going to do too much of that right now until we play Tottenham. So uh, the Premier League table as it stands, Liverpool still in first with VAR. I mean, 37 points. Uh, (laughs) Leicester City second, flying right now. Five wins in the last five. Man City in third, Chelsea in fourth. Um, And then you get into Wolves, Burnley, Arsenal, Sheffield, Tottenham flying up the table. United have yet to play, so United could jump up anywhere from 10th to 6th, depending on their match to Southampton. Or no, I'm sorry. Who do they play, Ness? Um, Chevy United. <laughs> Ooh, so 8th versus 10th could be a good one. Uh, and then the, they can't play their keeper, though, because he's on loan. So. Oh, cheaters. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> and then the bottom half of the table is Bournemouth in 11th, then Brighton, Palace, Newcastle, Everton, West Ham, Villa, Norwich, Southampton, Watford. That's the table as it stands. Southampton, uh, like man. The Southampton could have got out of the bottom three yesterday, and they blew it. Unbelievable. 96th minute equalizer from Arsenal. They are uh, not doing great. Uh, all right. Well, that'll wrap us up. Thank you, listeners. You are amazing for joining us. As always, uh, check out Naz. Give him a follow. Uh, he is great and a must-read for all Chelsea fans. Uh, and Naz, thank you for your time and graciousness. We're getting you out of here right before kickoff. Great to catch up with you guys as always. And yeah, anytime. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, obviously, to Nick and Dan as well. Uh, Hit us up on social media, email on Patreon, Discord. And until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.